You are listening to the Effective Statistician Podcast, a weekly podcast with Alexander Schacht, Benjamin Pieske and Sam Gardner designed to help you reach your potential, lead great science and serve patients without becoming overwhelmed by work. Today I'm talking with Willine about Enneagrams. That will be quite interesting, so stay tuned. I first heard about Enneagrams from a podcast with Michael Hyatt. It was really interesting and it's one of these personality tests that help you to better understand yourself, how you react uh, to others, how you communicate to others, what triggers you, what motivates you, all these different things. So it's interesting thing to have a look into. After this discussion, I actually did the Enneagram myself and Willine helped me to understand it. And it, there were a lot of things that I took out of this. And there were, of course, a couple of things that I already knew because I've done similar tests in the, in the past. So I can say that if you haven't done something like this or something similar, um, have a try, have a look at it. And very often companies will offer these since they have some kind of standard type of questionnaires I will go to. So check that out with your training or your HR department, whether they offer something like this or something similar. So stay tuned for this episode with Willine. I'm producing this podcast in association with PSI, a community dedicated to leading and promoting the use of statistics within the healthcare industry for the benefit of patients. Join PSI today to further develop your statistical capabilities with access to the video-on-demand content library, free registration to all PSI webinars, and much, much more. The reduced rate is only £20 for non-high-income countries and £95 for high-income countries annually. Visit the PSI website at psiweb.org to learn more about PSI activities and become a PSI member today. Welcome to another episode of the Effective Statistician. Today, I'm really, really happy to talk with Willeen, who is, by the way, do I pronounce it correctly? Willeen, yes. Willeen, yeah. And so I'm really, really happy to talk with Willeen about a topic that I stepped over quite some time ago already, but I never really got my head around it. I've actually listened to a couple of different other podcast episodes, and I even started to read a book about it, but I never kind of really, yeah, got into it. And so today I'm therefore really happy to speak with Jolene about the Enneagram. So, but before we dive into this, Maybe you can introduce yourself a little bit, what made you kind of think more about that and dive into this topic. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Alexander. It's a, such a privilege to be here today. Uh, a little bit of background about myself. Um, I was born and raised in Cape Town, uh, South Africa, and um, I'm married for the second time. So I have a beautiful blended family. And between Nigel and myself, we've got three children, 13, 18, and 20. So I'm right in the thick of the teenage years. <laughs> and in 2018, we moved from South Africa to Ireland due to a work opportunity for my husband. And we absolutely love it. 
Um, we love it here. And it was, I was in IT for 20 years. Um, my husband's still in IT, but after experiencing the power of life coaching in my life, I did a radical career change. And I did that when we moved, um, moved to Ireland and I've never looked back. So today I'm an ICF uh, accredited life coach and mentor, and I have a particular interest in coaching women privately around their mindset and their self-worth. Okay. Um, I think that's because it's a journey that I've walked myself. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of that journey, can you expand a little bit on that? My journey? Yeah. Okay. So what I found was um, when I first started out in IT, um, I was on a floor of about 100 men and we were perhaps six ladies. It was very hard to have a voice in the room. It was very hard to be um, respected when you did come up with solutions and opportunities. And I'm actually talking early 2000s, so that was long ago. Um, but I'd always found that my self-worth was externally verified by my academic achievements. Yeah, I was always looking to study more, looking to achieve more, looking to do more um, to, in order to find my self-worth. And mm -hmm. I was a people pleaser of note. So I would do anything for everybody, but I was doing nothing for myself, which ultimately led to a massive burnout. And I had to relook my life completely. Okay. So that's yeah. the journey. I'm pretty sure there's lots of people that can relate to this. And mm -hmm. not only women, actually. I think in our culture, there's kind of, you know, a school plays an important role and achieving good grades and pl uh, plays an important role early on in, in, in life. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, of course, as, as parents, we also want to, you know, make sure that our kids are successful and um, maybe overemphasize these, yeah. uh, the grades and the academic achievement. Yeah. Um, How did you then overcome that? The hard way, <laughs> the very hardest possible route I could have taken. I had to hit rock bottom and then through therapy and life coaching. And that's actually the reason why I got into life coaching because I'd had therapy for years, um, but the life coaching is what actually really radically changed everything for me. Um, so yeah, hard work, hard work. A lot of more awareness from a day-to-day -day basis of what am I thinking, catching myself, what am I thinking, what is this pattern behavior, is it true? In terms of journey. hard work, you mean you had kind of thoughts about your thoughts, yes? yes. So, so reflections on what yes. were you thinking yes. and why were you thinking it? Yes, and that's where I had to. So it wasn't physically hard work, it was mental hard work, but it had to become a practice of becoming more aware of what I was thinking more often so that I could catch myself before I sabotaged myself. Also understanding then how to renew those thoughts. So how to stop the thought that was taking me down the bad direction and to take it to the, the direction of that would give me the better results. Can you give an example of something like this? So for example, the one thing that I use a lot in my coaching is something called the model where the circumstances are given. We cannot change them. So we, for example, I'll take COVID as an example, because we all understand that when we first went into lockdown, then with the model, your thoughts determine your feelings, which determine your actions, your feelings will create your actions and your actions will ultimately give you your results. So there were some people who were thinking initially about the lockdown, this sucks, I hate being controlled, who do they think they are, which made them feel irritated and frustrated, which made them act in that way, 
um, towards their family, at home, at work. They felt trapped. And the end result was they had an absolutely terrible time mm-hmm. during COVID, unproductive, with bad, bad thoughts, bad surroundings. Whereas the other alternative could be, okay, the circumstance remains the same. We're in lockdown. Um, and I thought to myself, it is what it is. Um, there's nothing I can do about it, but I'm going to make the most of my time. And that made me feel energized and content. Mm-hmm. And so my, that, those feelings created in me that I could play board games with my kids. My husband and I, we swapped our days and nights around. We watched new series. I created a new program for my coaching. And the end result was our relationships took on a better new dynamic individually with ourselves, our personal growth, and as a family. Yeah. So you can see it's chalk and cheese, but the circumstance was the same. So how are you going to choose to think? Because yeah. it's our thoughts, which is fantastic for your area of your listeners. Is we think a lot. We think so much. But what we, we, that makes us so powerful because our thoughts will create the, the results that we want. So if we can just learn to channel that, yeah. you become super powerful. Yeah. So I think in terms of, is that some kind of victim mentality? Is that kind of... I would say... This? Yes, I would say um, my clients and for myself, I was definitely the victim role. Um, In the drama triangle, you get the victim, the persecutor, and the rescuer. Mine tended to be the victim. Mm -hmm. Even though I was an angry victim, I would say, nobody's ever going to do that to me again. You know, I've had Mm -hmm. it. This is the last time. Who do they think they are? But yet I was still being a victim. Um, And then a lot of my other clients swing between victim and rescuer where they're absolutely over-functioning for everybody else. Mm. So it's to step out of that codependency, which we don't even realize that we're in. Yeah. I realize, I see that actually quite a lot uh, at work, Yeah, where people say, that person did this to me. Yes. Yeah. Or the company did this to me. Mm. Yeah. Could be like, say, you know, something unfair that is mm. or perceived as unfair yeah mm. or they don't know made this comment and said make me angry he made me angry yes yeah. very good alexander well done for noticing that yeah and then it's kind of you're the victim yeah mm. and uh, that always makes you kind of feel helpless yeah taking no responsibility Yeah. which means that you're relying on other people. You do actually give your power away when you show up as a victim because you're giving your power to the person who made you feel that in the first place, made you feel that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so if, you, if you come across such a person yeah, mm-hmm. that has this self-talk, how do you get them out of there? Um, well... What we do, I've got a program and we build slowly but surely on, because I, I, I use a lot of tools, a lot of visuals. And I know because I was, uh, I am a highly analytical person myself. Um, I know that we need to understand things. I explain how the brain works. I explain what happens when you get triggered. I explain that your feelings are not the boss of you. We, we learn to use the model. And the more they use it and we apply it and they're part, interactively part of fleshing out every single situation, they start seeing for themselves, they create that awareness for themselves. And they go, ah, oh, 
oh, look where I'm going. I don't want to go there. How do I get out of this? And then I just point them to the next, the next thing. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. But I think it's really important to have this understanding of yourself mm. uh, because that way you can much better understand, okay, what are your trigger points? What are kind of your, your, your usual traps you fall mm. into? Mm. And if you know these, then you can, you know, much better watch out for them because you see, well, there's usually some, you know, typical patterns for people. Yeah. So, 100%. Um, yeah. And Speaking about patterns, we mm. wanted to speak about the Enneagram. So tell me a little bit about how you got into that topic. Sure. Good question. How did I get into that? I was looking for a personality profiling tool, mm -hmm. but because I'm such an analytical person, I needed to have something that really checked all the tick boxes for me when it came to accuracy, because mm -hmm. I can't be using a tool that gives inaccurate results mm -hmm. um, because I'm working with highly intelligent people as well. I can't pull the wool over anybody's eyes here. We could, so eventually I found the Enneagram. Um, I think it was through a book that I read, they mentioned the Enneagram. So I started, um, you know, um, investigating that. And I did the Enneagram test and it was like, wow. And then I did, my husband did it and it was, wow. Okay. <laughs> In terms of, and, wow, yeah. what, what did you, how, why did it make you feel, wow? Because the Enneagram is a tool that can simultaneously flatter you and offend you. <laughs> <laughs> Because it holds the mirror right up here. Yeah. Um, and it, it just brings out your blind spots like this. And it just goes like this right onto what are your triggers? What are your blind spots? What are your defense mechanisms? What are your greatest fears? And when we start understanding ourselves, and that's why I always start my program with the Enneagram, we dive deep into that because that's where we need to start is knowing who are we before we move on. And then we keep on referencing back to the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. What yeah. does the Enneagram, can, or what kind of personality traits does the Enneagram des describe? Personality traits. Um, Basically, most importantly, what it's based on is what motivates you subconsciously. Okay. Okay. So that, that's why an, an interesting part, Alexander, is I chose the Enneagram because all the other personality profiling tests are based on your behavior right now. Mm -hmm. And as we all know, our behavior is going to change in five years' time. So if you did Myers-Briggs or Insights or any one of those personality profiling tests, you'll find that you're one one. Um, type now but you will be you'll, you'll profile completely differently in five years time whereas the Enneagram what motivates you if you were a, a type one which is a strict perfectionist you would be motivated by doing the good and the right thing so as a little boy Alexander you would have been a type one it would have been motivated but as an old old man one day you will still be a type one because you will be still be motivated subconsciously to be doing the good and the right thing and that's why I chose Enneagram. Okay. okay, very, very good. How many types are there in the Enneagram? There's nine. Nine okay. types with three subtypes under each one. Um, so in other words, 27 combinations. Wow. Okay. How do you remember 27 combinations? No, it, I don't have to remember it. That 
<laughs> Thankfully, we get a very detailed report and we work through it per person individually, page okay. by page. Yeah. Okay. Okay. If you if you think of, can you say that maybe you know more introverted, analytical people would fall into typical types there within the enneagram usually? Um, no, there's different. There's that's the beauty of the Enneagram is you can be, there's three subtypes. So the first subtype is self-preservation and they tend to be the more introverted, um, you know, analytic, well, not, not, not analytical, but the more introverted people. Mm -hmm. They're very concerned about making sure that their, their safety, their security, their food, their roof over their head, um, their finances around themselves. That's the self-preservation. And then you get the, The sexual, which is the one-on-one, -on -one, they're more concerned for them. Survival means um, I have a good relationship one-on-one -on -one with somebody else. Mm -hmm. So that's what's, what survival means to them. And then you get the social um, and they're all about the group. They're all about belonging to the herd. And for them, that's where their safety and their survival comes from. So within one type, you would get in under type one, you would potentially get the self-preservation who are usually a little bit more introverted mm -hmm. um, when the social, which is usually more extrovert, slightly extroverted. Okay. When the Enneagram describes what motivates you, I just, you know, um, talked, chatted on LinkedIn with someone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I asked her also kind of what motivates you. And she said, mm -hmm. I really struggle to answer this, this, this question. Yeah, mm -hmm. because, you know, I just love doing statistics and, and stuff like this. How can the Enneagram reveal to these people what motivates them? So um, the test that I use is integrative. They have got about 170 que 70 questions that they ask, but it's a dynamic test. So if you look like you could be a type one or a type two and they can't figure out which one you are, then they dynamically start changing the questions to see what drills down more, more you know, which oh, one, which yeah, one, which yeah. one. And then you might be a one and then not sure between one and nine again. So they'll ask you questions channeled towards that until they ultimately and a 95% accuracy, know what motivates you. So they'll ask you different questions about what's important to you here, how do you show up like this year, what, why would, you know, those kind of questions. Ah, interesting. So, so the questions are designed kind of as, as, so to say, filters. You go yes. basically down some kind of decision tree. Yes. And then, yes. uh, depending and on that's what why I like this, this test specifically. Nice, nice. Nice. Yeah. How will the Enneagram help me to work more effectively with others? Okay, so when you start understanding um, why you do the things that you do, you start to gain greater insight to transform self-defeating behavior. Mm -hmm. Why do you act or why do you react the way that you do? And it's when you've got that awareness that you can really start changing things again, um, start working on the things that don't serve you. Um, mm -hmm. So the better you know yourself, the better you know your strengths, the better you know your weaknesses, the better you know your triggers, the better you know the Enneagram even tells you about how you communicate and um, how you give feedback, your decision making, um, how you handle conflict. So the better you know all those things, 
Um, it's got a, a section as well where they talk about um, how you are with visioning and planning and goal setting, um, etc. You know, so you really, really get to understand yourself really well, and you see where the loopholes are, or where the, the pitfalls potentially are, and where your strengths are. So how do you how do you avoid the pitfalls and work and focus on the strengths? Okay. Okay. So, yeah. That's that's great. In terms of feedback, I know mm -hmm. this is a for lots of people a big topic yeah uh giving and receiving feedback. Yes. so um i wasn't good in either of these receiving and giving feedback uh for the most of part of probably of my career and i only you know learned it over time uh that feedback is really a gift and how to ask for it and how to kind of manage it or you know work with it if we talk about feedback what are you know the typical what would be you know for different enneagram types different behaviors for for in terms of feedback well each type would show up differently and would that be receiving feedback or giving feedback because it, it does actually receiving differentiate. Let's talk, let's talk about receiving feedback. First. Okay, so, so that's hard for me to say up front for each one, um, yeah. how each type would, would show up for receiving feedback. But potentially, um, it, it, it would go into detail of um, don't be so busy trying to um, soften it or um, cover it a lot of like a seven for example the visionary I can think of an example they would immediately turn the, the, the feedback into they would immediately reframe it into oh it's a great learning curve and then not ever think about it again or yeah it was um, it wasn't so bad it was actually something good came out of it because um, I know that that's what sevens do they put on their rose-colored glasses and off they go so for example the report would warn that enthusiastic visionary look out for this and actually spend some time to think more about what really happened here and what can really be done differently instead of immediately putting on your rose-colored glasses okay so so for things like constructive feedback yes they would yes basically yeah. reframe it in such a way that it's, you know, they see the benefits in it. Yeah. yeah, just quick. There would be no other thought to it. Okay. And um, so I first kind of, it was really difficult for me to mm -hmm. kind of manage constructive mm -hmm. feedback. And of course, you know, supervisors are also sometimes not very good, well trained in providing you know, constructive feedback and in a way that it's easy to receive. I mm. later in my career had one supervisor that was really, really good in that. And um, thankfully, I had her for quite some time as a supervisor. So um, that helped me quite a lot to kind of completely change my uh, thinking about feedback. Mm. How does motivation and feedback go there together? So if I'm If the Enneagram tells me what I'm motivated by, how will that then, for example, have an impact on feedback? Feedback. Well, the example that I can think of right now is a five, which is often um, the statisticians, the data scientists, the actuaries. It's, they're often, uh, they compartmentalize the feedback as well, and they don't tend to, to, to and then they overanalyze it When they, when they go into, when they feel like they've been attacked, they will isolate themselves. 
they mm -hmm. will withdraw completely um, and overanalyze things, have a whole conversation in their head and then say nothing in the feedback session. Oh, uh, yeah, I can feel, relate to that. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So those are the kind of things. Also, a five giving, and I'm talking about fives because they tend to be your audience. Um, what I, in my experience is mostly fives. Um, so they tend to, if they're giving feedback as well, they would intellectualize things and potentially give so much detail that they lose the person that they are um, speaking to. Yeah. Yeah. And lose yeah. the point potentially. Yeah. Yeah. I. I can relate to that as well, that, you know, you say, and this, and this, and this, and this, and yes. this, and this, yeah? yeah, and, you know, then it's too much, yeah, yeah. it's, um, I learned that especially with my kids, you know, mm. if, if, if you get good feedback to kids, you know, you need to make it one point, just yeah. one point, yeah, and make it, cool. make it matter, <laughs> kids are our best teachers, Yeah, 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 yeah. They train you on how, how, what is effective feedback and what's not because yeah. you directly see the results. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. In terms of frustration, frustration, I think, results very often from that our, our motivations are not met. Yeah, mm. our, mm. our, what we wanted to achieve for ourselves is, is mm. not possible. So I very often got frustrated in the past when, you know, I had, the, at the end of the day, you know, you look at your to-do list and, it, you know, instead of becoming shorter, it became longer. Yeah. Mm. Or you wanted to do these three things, but you never actually got to them. Or mm. you thought you could do that in two hours. And well, after two hours, you had, haven't even, you know. Yeah got half through it. How is that associated with motivation? Okay. So I would say frustration is basically a trigger. Something has triggered you. A value or a need hasn't been met or has been disrespected. Yeah. And that's when you get triggered. And you are then thinking something that makes you feel frustrated. Um, potentially, if you were a one, a strict perfectionist, um, and you're not getting to do everything you set out to do, you'd be hard on yourself. You'd feel frustrated at the end of the day. Mm. So um, I can think of that as a one. As a five, their motivation is to know, to be knowledgeable, um, to have the information, to understand. If that isn't met, they are potentially more triggered than anybody else in the room. Okay. If they are shown up to, to, to be um, incompetent, Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. Not knowing or the not details. Know, not knowing is massive trigger for a five. So potentially yeah. if the five makes it mean that they didn't get to all their lists because they didn't know enough or know it fast enough, that could be their trigger for frustration. A three is a ambition, competitive achiever. And they're all about ambition. They have to come first. They have to be the best. Um, and for them, their trigger would be not coming first, not being the best. And they might have set out for themselves a certain amount of work to do each day. And when they don't achieve it, they're not performing at their best. That'll trigger them again. Okay. So okay. bottom line is whatever you value um, or need, if that's being disrespected or not met. 
And each Enneagram type will have a different motivation, which will determine what, with which filters you're actually looking at the situation. That's fascinating. Yeah, I can, I can, I can see that, that, um, you know, I think that's also sometimes the problem that people don't speak up because mm. of that, you know, mm. I don't know enough or I have the feeling I don't know enough. Mm. So I don't speak up. Yeah. 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 Uh, there we go. Because you, yeah. you, you feel you need to know it all. And that's um, very much, uh, it would be interesting to know what your type is because the type five needs to know it all. Yeah. Yeah. I see that um, in discussions in, in my leadership program, mm. that often comes up as kind of barrier for speaking up. Yeah. Mm. You're in a meeting and, um, you know, lots of people in the group and um, they're discussing about a certain topic and you kind of, as a, as a very analytical person, you go through your mind through all these kind of different things. What are all the pros and cons? What are all the data mm. that I need about it? And by the time you get to it, mm. the meeting is over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and, you know, of course, these kind of discussions are flowing and very fast at, at times. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. if you want to have a really, really, you know, complete understanding of things, you have very good control about all the data, mm -hmm. all the knowledge, mm -hmm. um, you're constantly behind. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because the others, you know, for them, it's okay to just have 80% of the knowledge or to have mm -hmm. some, you know, lots yeah, of Yeah, but you need to know it all. Yeah. Yeah, which, by the way, is really kind of a, an interesting thing that we statisticians who are kind of the analytical persons who understand uncertainty very often can deal least with it. <laughs> that is so interesting, those contradictions always. Yeah. And how much anxiety is that causing for you, Alexander? I've, I've actually come over it over time, yeah, because I, I felt that I, I felt... I learned to more trust my gut feelings. Mm. Yeah. And then act on it. And then act on it. Yeah? yeah. And I very often also realized that, you know, this additional maybe 20% of information doesn't change the direction usually. Mm. Yeah. And most importantly, the third point is most importantly, not speaking up. Mm not, you know, providing your thoughts, your ideas, even your gut feeling to the group is a disservice to the group. Yeah. 100%. And that is, I think, a very important kind of reflection point that if you're just kind of, if you're playing it so safe for yourself, mm. you're actually doing a disservice to the, to the team. Mm. Yeah. And it's kind of, if you think about it that way, it's quite egocentric. And I don't want to be that. Yeah, so. I can see you've done a lot of thought work around this. <laughs> yeah. you've, shifted, you've shifted the way you think about not knowing everything, which yeah. is great. Yeah, yeah. And I specifically kind of also, you know, changed how I wanted to be. Yeah, I wanted to be more kind of, action oriented yeah mm. more kind of 
do things and then reflect on them yeah. rather than okay. reflect, 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 and then yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah. Reflect and reflect. <laughs> Analysis <laughs> paralysis. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I think these kind of thinking about your soul uh, so pro, uh, process and mm. reflecting what are your motivations, what are your triggers. Uh, yeah. reflecting kind of what are the typical patterns that you fall into so you see. and what do you want to do instead yes yes yeah. what do you want instead yeah how do you want to feel instead mm. yeah and that is kind of also where for me kind of goal setting comes in mm. yeah. so if you if you want to kind of reach a certain goal yeah and you have big goals mm. then you need to kind of think about How do you need to change to achieve these? And change not in terms of that your values change, but that mm. you know your actions, your self-talk change. Hundred so percent. Because if you want different results, you have to think differently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I have this journal from Michael Hyatt um, mm. or this calendar. It's a, or is it more? And on the page today, it says. Obstacles can't stop you. Problems can't stop you. Only you can stop yes. you. Because obstacles and problems is just the circumstance. Yeah. Yeah. As we you know, talked at the beginning about the pandemic. Yeah. yeah. The pandemic is just circumstance. Yeah. And what you make out of it is, is really kind of uh, how you move forward with it. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about your work in terms of if, if people work with you, how, how, how does that look like? Okay. So firstly, we would have a little introductory meeting and then um, I'd give them the link for the Enneagram test. They would complete that, give, spend some time for both of us to really read through it, to make ourselves comfortable with it, underline things that resonate with you that don't. And mm. then we meet again for two hours and we dive deep into the Enneagram and mm. what we found. Um, and I explain how the lines and the wings work and where you're sabotaging yourself. And we really get to, to discuss it in detail. Um, and then the rest of my program will go through um, how to be authentic. And I was thinking a lot about that earlier when you were speaking about, um, you know, your thoughts, um, act first and think later. Because what we want to be doing is we want to be doing thinking, feeling and acting in equal amounts. Mm. Um, um, to show up as authentic and as uh, balanced as, as, as possible. And the Enneagram shows you where are you doing too much? Are you thinking too much and doing too little, acting too little, or are you feeling too much and um, thinking too little? You know, mm. how to bring those aligned and to get them congruent. And also that you're thinking, feeling, and acting, if they were arrows, that they would all be shooting towards the same goalpost. Not yeah. thinking one thing, feeling a different thing, and then doing something completely different. So we work a lot on authenticity. We work on mindset. We work on self-worth is a big thing for me. Self-confidence, boundaries, uh, codependency, defense mechanisms, communication, because you cannot. Uh, a lot of people um, are, are very certain that they want boundaries and they're ready to, to, to set boundaries, but they don't have the speech for it. Yeah. So how do we help you to, to be able to say, No, to how to stop people pleasing, um, 
Sure. We work through, well, it's an eight-week course, and we work through all that. And lots of little models, lots of little exercises, thought-provoking exercises. <clears throat> Not a lot of homework, but just a little bit, just to get you to reflect. Um, yeah, because my idea, and this is where the empowerment part of my title comes in, is I want to teach you how to help yourself. I want you to leave a better person who is able and empowered to be able to coach yourself through the small day-to-day -day things of life. So that's, yeah. that's pretty cool. Yeah. And it's a one-to-one -one course. Yes. Yeah. Always one-to-one. -one, yes. Cool. Um, and like I said, I always, um, most of my clients, 99% of my clients are in IT or um, actuaries, you know, accounts, finance, it's all the really analytical people. I do, I do coach men, but my target <laughs> market is women. I've got two male clients at the moment. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Thanks so much. That was a wonderful discussion. Um, I certainly will check out the Enneagram test for myself to just see where what my type is and where do I fit in. Because when I uh, read through the nine types, I wasn't really sure. Well, maybe I was thinking I would like to be that, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I'm not sure whether I'm really a certain person uh, yeah. or a certain personality type. Um, but I'm I'm pretty sure it will help me about learning more about myself, my motivation, why I do the things I do in a certain way and um, yeah, where my frustration and, and things like that come from. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much, uh, Willing. Is there any final things that you would like to um, have the listener remember? I think what's important about the Enneagram, since we've been speaking about that today, is you might feel like it's going to box you and put you in a box. You're a type one, you're a type two, you're a type three. But that's not what it's about. We're already in small boxes. So what the Enneagram, what I found is it helps you to get out of those boxes and to start living the big life you were meant to live. Awesome. Yeah. That's a really, really final, uh, nice final word. Thanks so much. Yeah. And... Um, Check out the show notes where I will have, you know, the links to Villeen's uh, homepage, the course. Um, she's also pretty active on LinkedIn. So uh, make sure to follow her there as well. And uh, that way you'll hear much more from her. Uh, lots of motivation, inspiration uh, and help. Thanks so much. Thanks, Alexander. show was created in association with PSI. Thanks to Rain who helps with the show in the background and thank you for listening. Learn more about the Enneagram and lots of other stuff on our homepage theeffectivestatistician.com where you can also leave your email address so that you never um, lose track of when we offer something and all the additional things that you get only via the email. Reach your potential, lead great science and serve patients. Just be an effective statistician.